0: As we have gone through this series in the Psalms, um, today we go to Psalm 22. And Psalm 22, it's interesting uh, when we talked about this one, uh, there was a whole idea of the way I thought this was going to go. Because you look at the passage, you become familiar with the passage, and you go, ah, that's exactly what it's going. And then it's funny over the next two weeks, Uh, As Brother Scott and I were talking about, that it's funny how God reminds us, no matter how well you know Scripture, you never know the Scripture. No matter how well you know it, God can always take you into a deeper understanding, a deeper meaning, something that's deeper. Do you know why? Because you're never going to understand God completely. The day that you think that you understand God and you have him figured out, he's not a God worth worshiping. The God that we serve, we'll never fully understand. Even though he reveals to us what's going on, that's just a minute, just a little bit of who he truly is because he is that magnificent and he is that awesome. Now, as he does that and he reveals himself, it's not for knowledge. It's to intimately know him, to become more dependent upon him and to become and say, Lord, have your way in my life. Do what you want to do. So as we go to Psalms 22, um, Psalms 22 starts out with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Does this sound familiar? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If we go back and we look at this, these are the words uttered by Jesus as he's on the cross. But today we're going to look at the psalm. We're not going to start at Jesus and look backwards. We're going to look at the psalm's meaning and look forwards of why Jesus pointed to this particular one. Now, again, Jesus has always existed. The psalm wasn't before God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons has always existed. But we are looking here at the beauty of this, of why Jesus pointed to this psalm, but what it meant to the people and David of why he wrote it. This is a lament. Uh, The idea of a lament is one who is pouring out to God with humility, where are you? You have not answered. Lament when we do this is the honest crying out to God, I have an expectation of how you're supposed to react to this situation, and yet you're not. I have an assumption that this is how you're supposed to respond, how you're supposed to react. I'm crying out to you, but you are silent. Have you gone through moments where you've Poured out your heart to God and you're getting nothing? It wasn't a rhetorical question, but I guess it will be today. It's raining, everybody's quiet. I get it, I understand. Thank you. There are moments in my life when I have cried out to God and it's nothing. Nothing. It's silent, I'm in pain, I'm in confusion. I keep going time and time again of God you say you love me but why are you not answering? God in this moment you're, suppo- you're the God that has everything in your hands it should be this easy. I have prayed for days there are times I have prayed for months there are times I have prayed for years on things and God would not he chose not to answer in that moment. Now Why? And church, I want us to to hear the truth of this, that lament, when we lament, it is meant to draw us closer into trust, to know and trust God more intimately. It is not that God is not answering. We're gonna go through the scripture more, but it is for us to recognize that how it feels and what's really going on are two different things how it feels, and who God is are two different things. Let's go through this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. David here, as he is writing this, he is saying, I have cried out all day and you've not answered me and now it's gone into the nighttime, and there's still nothing taking place where are you now what's the difference between lament and whining because if you stop right here what's this sound like It sounds like an accusation against God. What's wrong with you? If we stopped right there, it almost sounds like it's what's wrong with you? You're to blame. I can't believe this. Well, what's the difference between whining and lamenting? I thought about this because I was greatly convicted as I began to read through this scripture. Whining is just about, I don't like it. This is not right. You're to blame. This is this. This is that. Whining. But David does something different here. David pours out his heart to God. He is hurt. He is confused. He doesn't know what's taking place, but he switches it right here. In verse 3, he says, yet, yet, in other versions, it'll say, but you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. See, here's where we begin to get an idea of understanding about lament. God wants us to cry out to him with our concerns and our confusions and our wanting to understand. But God desires that. How do I know that? Let's take this idea for just a moment. Anybody in here ever had to take care of a child, an infant? What is that like at 2 o'clock in the morning? For some of you, you're blessed because you're like, oh, well, that's sleeping time. But that's not Everybody. At some point in time, that child cries and calls out. They are hungry or they are scared or they are trying to figure out what's going on. The world that they have been placed in is very foreign. The moment that they're in is either very disconcerting, something's going on. And most of us, when we hear that baby cry in our right minds, we go, That's my child. And I want to take care of them. When we're groggy or frustrated, we're like going, not again. Will you just please please sleep? Just just go to sleep. I've done everything. Please just sleep. Now, we are imperfect. Even as parents, we have a love for our children, but we're imperfect, right? We're imperfect. But God is not. And when we cry out to God because we don't understand what God wants us to like that baby, verbally cry out and say I don't understand. What happens after a time though? What happens after a time when you can when the child continually does this and the parent continues there? What happens? Again, I'm not supposed to ask questions today. I'm sorry. I know that and everything. Over time that child starts to get an understanding of you're there. You're faithful. I'm hungry. I have, but I remember I've been hungry before and you fed me. I was scared. I remember being scared, but you were there. We know a child has memory because we watch them over and over. Once that happens, they begin to say, I can absolutely trust. This is the lament as David goes through. He starts out, God, this is how it feels. This is how it's dark. I've cried out to you. I know you're powerful, but you've not answered. But I go back and I remember. I remember and go back. Not just about me. You answered our people. You answered our forefathers. I remember. I go back to the stories that have been handed down to me. You heard them. You were faithful. And you answered If you think that you can't cry out to God, you have been lied to. If you think that there's something wrong with you telling God about how broken you are and you can't say that because somehow God will be offended, you have not read the scriptures and you've got somebody's half-concocted idea about God and it's wrong. God wants you to cry out. But remember, what's the difference between whining and lamenting? Whining just stops at, I hurt, and you're wrong. Lamenting is, I hurt, I don't understand, but you're faithful. You're faithful. You're faithful. Let's go on. It says this in verse six. You would think the way we like to in our mind, David, man after God's own heart, has this moment of despair. And then all of a sudden he cries out and remembers God and then the scripture's over and that's the end of the Psalms, right? Now listen to what he says. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. Here, David goes back, and part of David's problem is the fact that he feels less than because other people have told him that something's wrong with him. Part of his his despair is, first of all, he's crying out and not getting an answer, But the other part of it is this. There are people that are stating to him, your God's not going to answer. Your God's not going to answer. Oh, he might have answered your ancestors. He might have done that. But you, you're not worthy to be answered. You're not worthy to be answered. I have found it many times that you and I, when we go before God, part of our struggle is instead of going back to watching God's faithfulness of how he worked in the midst of people's lives, instead of going back and remember God's faithfulness, we have this bad tendency to compare ourselves to other people instead of making it about who God is. And so we begin to say, well, I know you answered their prayers because look, I mean, they're, they're amazing. I mean, they, that I know how messed up and a wretch I am, but the, they, oh no, they, I'm so, I'm so far, but, and people tell me I'm so far beneath. People have told me, you know, well, of course, there's no way that God would answer me like he answers other, because, because I, church, There's a reason we're not supposed to compare ourselves to others. There's a reason. You know why? Because you never win in the situation. If you compare yourself to others, you're either way below and inferior, or you are so superior, you're better than everybody. You can't win. If you think that you're the worst of the worst, then you believe the lie that there's no way God could truly love you because somehow your sin is more potent and powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And if you think you're superior and those other people, God shouldn't answer them because look at how wretch they are. You have forgotten why Jesus died. David, though, is telling you, but this is how it feels. People are coming after me. They are telling me that I I am a worm. God's not listening. He's not answering because there's something I have done wrong. Church, think about this. If you have blown it, if you have messed up, if you have sin in your life, what is God wanting to do with you? What does he want? Again, Sean, don't ask questions today. It's a bad habit. I will try not to do this. Is there any sin that can keep you from the love of God? Any sin? There is no sin. So then what does God do? The Holy Spirit comes and brings a great conviction in your life to begin to tell you, this is not of me And I have not called my child to live this way. Come and repent and follow me. Agree with me that it's wrong. Change your mind and come follow me. There is hope and blessing and forgiveness. If you've put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no sin that can separate us from the love of God. Not one. Not one. But people, if we listen, they will tell us, You're inferior. David has part of his perspective right now, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. I wonder what would happen if brothers and sisters in Christ would have come around him in that moment. Of course, I know that it's Jewish, and I know that it's Yahweh, and Christ hasn't been physically born. But, but I wonder if faithful, godly people would have come around David at that point in time and begin to say, let me tell you about my story about how God's faithful. Let me tell you right now, I have felt the same way you have. Brother, let me tell you, hang, hang in there. Hold on to what God's doing right now. I wonder what would have happened instead of people that came against him and listened to sit there and say, you're the worst of the worst. There's no way God's answering you. That's a little application right there, just depending on how we talk to one another, how we can change the perspective of somebody's life. Be careful not to be in the judgment seat. It goes on and it says this. Listen to verse 9. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. Listen again in verse 3. Yet you are holy. Verse 9. Yet you are. This is how it feels, but this is who you are. This is what's going on, but this has nothing to do with who you are and what you're doing. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. David goes back and remembers of his ancestors. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then he goes back and he goes, but you were faithful to my my ancestors. You were faithful to my forefathers. You were faithful to the people of Israel. And you answered. But then he goes personal. But but again, I'm a worm. These people are saying this. They're saying you're not going to answer. But yet again, when I was a child and was born and had no control, you were there to take my life And put me at my mother's breast to nurse, to nurture me, and to give me nourishment. You have been my God from the very beginning, even when I didn't acknowledge you or know it. Do you understand what a beautiful illustration that is? God was watching over us when we had no control. His faithfulness. His faithfulness. Church, again, to be reminded how it feels is real. God wants us to be intimate and cry out to him. But he also wants us to be reminded my circumstances have not changed God's power or his heart or his motives towards me and his people. It has not. It cannot. There's great hope in that moment. It goes on in verse 12, many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. If you look at the idea, Bashan, uh, and there's all kinds of different things on this, but today just looking at it, Bashan uh, is where the Golden Heights are now. And so when you think about the bulls that were there, there's notoriety there. But it, when I think about bulls, um, I, I think about, um, I think about um, well, two things. Um, I think about um, my grandfather who had cows, um, and it would always, cows scared me growing up as a kid. I don't know why, but they scared me. They were big. But I always thought every single cow in there was a bull, okay, and that I'd watch too many Bugs Bunny things where you pull the red out, and they charge you, and they come after you. And so now I do know, I do know at times that he would tell me and say, probably don't need to be in that field because there's one right now that's, that's a little bit, you know but every cow i thought was i mean it's like going i've got red on and it's going to kill me i mean it's everything i had i was afraid of cows and everything was a bull and you know but then i also think um i also think of the image uh of uh, of the bullfighting uh where they do have that but when you look at some of those things and you see them coming i mean or even the barrel riding or even some of the things in the rodeo. You see some of those bulls and you see the clowns trying to chase people. But but I have watched those bulls sometimes, they get a hold of somebody, and you know, I mean it's 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 scary. Well, here of course there's no bull fighting back with David or anything else, but the idea of surrounded by these bulls, surrounded in this moment that they would gore or trample or do this. In these, where, the, where they were known for this in, in Bashan, these lush fields and everything, and these bulls, he is saying, my enemies are, one of them would be more powerful than me, but they, I'm surrounded by these. They're like ravening lions. They're roaring at me. He goes on to say, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot sheared, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for me, and for my clothing, they cast lots. Then he goes on to 19. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. Now here's 21 that is so amazing and so crazy, and I haven't fully understood it, but he gets to 21 and he says this, Save me from the mouth of the lion. And then he switches. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Now, I don't know, again, this is a song. This is a song, but I don't know what happens here. This is not, Dave, David is going through and saying, my enemies are against me. This is how I feel. This is what's going on in my life. He's not talking to God in this moment and saying, but I know you'll answer me. This is past tense. You have answered me. Something happened in this moment for this, for the Holy Spirit to give this to David, to be written That God, through David's day and night toil of praying and crying out and not being heard, that all of a sudden God was faithful and he answered. Church, I'm going to remind us right now. I'm going to be reminded of this right now. God answers prayers. God answers prayers. I'm going to tell you the reason why I, I feel like there are reasons that we don't See it in a way it feels that way. One, we are not a praying people. We do not pray. We do not take time to pray. We don't go and make time. It's easier to binge a Netflix show or something than it is to take time to say, God, I'm just going to sit here and be in prayer. A lot of it, it takes, it is an uncomfortable place to be at times. Is it not? And there are times of people I've heard, and myself have experienced. What am I supposed to pray about? I've already gone through the list. Do you go through a list when you talk to a family member? Like, do you sit down and go, "Okay, so tell me today about um, what'd you do today? Did you?" Okay, I asked that question. All right, did you? Uh, did you get? I asked that question again. We don't do that. What do we do when we sit down with somebody? If we truly have an intimate relationship, what do we do? Tell me about your day. What happened today? Then you start telling it. And then all of a sudden, you answer something that was not asked. And you tell about a whole crazy story. Or you tell about something that you're going through. Or all of a sudden, this dialogue happens where it's not about question after question or petition after petition. It's just relationship and dialogue. It's intimacy. But somehow we treat God like, okay, I got to make sure I tell you all these things that I need. I mean, it's like we, we, treat him, we treat him like Santa in a Christmas list at times, really. And we've forgotten the intimacy that God just wants us to be with him and to share what's going on. It's the reason why I'm bothered when people say, well, you can't tell God that because if you you start to share what's going on, you have a lack of faith. That lie ends up cutting into our prayer life and the intimacy with God and keeps us from even going, well, what else can I share? There's all kinds. What can you not share with God? Can I tell you something right now? You can share with God that you have a deep love for a sin and you hate it, and you don't know why you have a love for this sin. Do you think you can tell God that? Have you ever told God that? You don't have to shake your head. I know everybody's like going, don't move. I could do on one, but don't move on that one. Church, when we get that intimate with God, God already knows. He wants us to be. It's like going, I know you have a love for that. I'm trying to kill that out of your flesh. I'm trying to show you that what you desire is not that. It's me, and this is hijacked it. I want you to come with me to be so vulnerable, so open, so I can show you that I love you, and I am the answer to what's going on in your life. This intimacy, this is where it's at. This is what he desires from us. Somehow, in the midst of all this, David's prayer is answered. Our prayers are answered. One, I don't believe that we pray anywhere near enough as a church, and it's hard for God to sometimes answer when you're not even talking to him. It's hard to answer. And the second thing is this. We almost, without realizing, put a stipulation on God, I'll pray but you got to answer the way that I want. And when you don't answer the way that I want, well, then what's the purpose of praying? Have you ever tried to negotiate with a two-year-old about what they should eat? Anybody had to do that? If you gave a two-year-old the opportunity to figure out what they want to eat, what are they going to choose to eat? Candy, sugar, ice cream, macaroni and cheese all the time. Do you know what they will not eat unless you just have one of those kids that's just I don't know what you call it but unless you have one of those kids that just loves to eat vegetables or whatever it's like going those are man if you got a kid that does that that's by the grace of God that's awesome not seen that very rarely ever seen that but if you allowed that child to do what they wanted again what's going to happen inadvertently they're going to be unhealthy and inadvertently they're going to kill themselves If you just say, you just, I'll just give you whatever you want. God comes to us and says, the reason why you come to me is not to get what you want. The reason you come to me is to know my heart, that I will change your heart to know what it truly desires. You, me, we do not desire godly things straight out the gate. We might have some things, but we do not desire what God desires. And he is changing our lives that we would be in better relationship with him. And we find God answers prayer 100% of the time. He answers prayer. David says as much right here. In 21, save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild ox. And it switches right there immediately. He goes on to say I will tell you of the name to my I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation I will praise you. Listen to what happens here. He goes in this moment and he begins to say because of this and I understand more about it there's other people I'm going to tell about how great you are. I'm going to tell about how great you are. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Verse 23, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Listen to that again. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but, he, but has heard when he cried to him. He hears. He hears. When you're praying, God hears. There are times that he may be saying, the reason why I'm not answering, maybe because you have hidden sin in your heart. And I'm not answering because I don't love you. I'm answering because you're trying to act like there's nothing wrong here. I died to save you from your sin. Let's start there. Or he may not be answering because he's saying this. I want you to know that I'm growing your faith. And you can know that even though you're crying out and it feels like I'm not there, I'm reminding you I have never changed. I was the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And you can trust me, I do not change. But God is working within our lives and our faith to draw closer in intimacy to Him. And to look like him, to love like him, to be like him. This is what he's doing. It then comes in in this last part. And it comes in starting with 27. And it says, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation shall worship before you. This is a messianic prophecy. Meaning, that even when you start to look at the Jews nowadays, those that don't believe in Jesus, you have Messianic Jews that believe the Messiah has come, his name is Yeshua or Jesus, and then you have those of the Jews that are still, they don't believe that it's Jesus, but again, they hold to the Old Testament, they hold to the law, and when they read through this, there are still many uh, rabbis that are not... uh, They're not Jesus followers, but there are many Jews that say that right there is a messianic prophecy. Now, they've missed the Messiah, but they know that this is a messianic prophecy. Listen to what it says. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him Shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. In other words, whether if you were brought low, God's going to lift you up if you have faith in Him. Those that are on high do not follow Him, even what they've had will be brought to the dust. No matter what's going on, God is in control and will bring about His judgment. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Now, let's look at this for a moment. David is proclaiming this written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is being sung by the Jews in the middle of temple. This is one of their worship songs. Just as we were singing worship songs today, this would be one of their worship songs. And David, through again through the Holy Spirit, is reminding the people, we're going to go through dark times. It's going to be difficult at times. And you're going to cry out to God, and you're going to feel like he's not listening. But go back and remember, who is he? He's been faithful to answer our ancestors. He's been faithful to bring them through trials, even when they weren't faithful. He's been faithful to take me at times when he should have let me die. He has been faithful to give me life, to put me at my mother's breast. He has been faithful to take care of me. I'm surrounded by enemies. They have told me that my God will not answer, and something's wrong with me. But I am justified because my God has answered. And not only has my God answered to go against those that come against me, that he is going to do something that's even out of my lifetime. He is coming to reign, and every knee will bow. See, when we start to look at this, and this is where I want to take this. When Jesus was on the cross, What had he done wrong? Nothing. They accused him of killing him for claiming to be a king or an emperor. They claimed that he was blaspheming, that he had claimed to be Yahweh, which he was. They were trying to say all these different things And think about this for a moment. If you've been a Jew your entire life, you've grown up and you've been in going to the temple for worship. Amazing grace, how sweet the that saved a wretch like. What's the next word? I once was, but now am. What's the last? When Jesus is on the cross and all of a sudden he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All of a sudden, all those, all those Pharisees, all those Sadducees who are taunting him and mocking him and Jesus says this, all of a sudden goes, wait a minute, we sung that song before. And in that song, David was the righteous one being attacked by his enemies and David was saying that it seemed that God wasn't listening. And the enemies were surrounding him and roaring at him. And then God justified David. And then David started pointing to a Messiah. Why was Jesus pointing to Psalms 22? They had sung it forever forever. They were waiting for a Messiah. They had looked at David and been like, I've been in David's shoes, where people have stood against me, and thus I find great hope. And yet now in this moment, in this moment, even Jesus, one more time with his great patience and grace, is trying to get them to recognize, it's you. I'm the David figure, not you. I'm the one that you've come against. You are the enemies. You are the ones that have come against God. You are the ones that are persecuting. Do you not realize it? Even Jesus on the cross one more time was trying to reach out to his enemies to tell them, my God has and will vindicate me. Think about this. There's one last thing I want to bring up as we're bringing this all to a close. At some point in time, as you go through the Bible, there are things that I want to encourage you and encourage myself that you need to be aware of that will help you as you talk to people that don't know about Jesus. That you can be aware the more that you understand God's word. It's not just for you to be able to go closer to God because that's the most important thing is your relationship. But let me share with you. The Bible talks about in Acts 17 and it talks about through the Bible that the apostles and the people of Jesus, the Christians, began to reason with the lost. They began to reason with them about what's going on. It wasn't an argument or a fight. It was, I want you to see this. What do you think? Where are you at with all this? Listen to also the reason why Jesus points to Psalm 22. Think about this for a minute. In verse 7 of 22, it says this. All who see me mock me. They make their their mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Does any of that sound familiar when Jesus was on the cross? Remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees began to say, he saved others, let him save himself. Do you know the time period that this was written before Jesus is on the cross? About a thousand years. And do you see right here? Let me, it, it, let me go on. Look at this. We can also go and look at um, 16 through 18. Let's look at 16 through 18. It says, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet I count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Does any of this sound familiar? A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Now, just for the fun of it, if you read other, and you'll find in a lot of Bibles, you'll find these texts. And it's really interesting to pay attention to. I find it amazing. If you go back and you look at what most Jews are reading, it's, it's out of the Masoretic text. There's different texts that you find, and so you translate from them. In fact, when you, I won't get into it. This is not the time. But anyway, when you find different things, there are different manuscripts that are used in order for the Bible that's, that's looked at it. Again, the beauty of it is this. The Masoretic text that, the Jew, that most Jews use now, that they look at, ends up, When it talks about my hands and feet are pierced, it doesn't use the word pierced. It says, like a lion, my hands and my feet. Like a lion, my hands and my feet. But in ours, it says pierced. Now, people can go back and they would say this. Well, then why is there such a difference? If you go back and you start to look at manuscripts, it's interesting that there's a one little change with the word where the word could either be pierced or dug, or it could be like a lion. I'll give you the example because this is what happens. This is the beauty of having all the manuscripts that we have of the Bible because you can see that it's God's word, but you know that human error has put scribal things into it, right? There are times where people write something and they write it down wrong. Now, here's the beauty of it. We can actually go back because we have manuscripts and go, that dude wrote that letter wrong. We, got, we can show what God's word says. But let me give you an example. If I take the word cut That's a U, right? What if I put something on the top of that U and circle it all the way through? What's it look like? It looks like an A. You go from the word cut to what? Cat. Does that change the meaning? But if you go back and you start to look at it, now, I'll even say this. There can even be a case made where you could say, like a line, because there's some older text that would seem to support it, or you even get into the point of cat, cat, I know we're talking about pierced and like a lion, but here's the beauty of why I bring this up. If we want to say, well, maybe we can take that out. Zechariah 12.10 talks about that he was pierced. Zechariah 12.10 still talks about pierced, but here's the other thing it points to. Did they gamble for Jesus' robe? Were there people surrounding him? All these other things are prophecy that point to Jesus. But I will say this from my own humble opinion, my own humble opinion, logic to me seems to dictate. If you see three or four of these things and one says like a lion and the other one says dug or pierced, logic just tells me scribal error, that's pierced. And that points to Jesus. That points to Jesus. Why am I telling you these things, church? Why am I bringing them up? Because some of you right now are going, like, I really... I don't, I don't know if I really care. I just believe in Jesus and, and that's all that I need. Church, what I'm trying to tell you is there is a lost world that desperately needs questions answered. And when they want to cross these things, the reason why we dig for it is not to necessarily make me believe more in Jesus. it's to have a heart of God. Jesus sat down with people and answered their questions. Jesus dialogued with people. Jesus went. He began to get people to question things. Even on the cross, Jesus is quoting Psalms 22. As even a, uh, one of those moments to even get Pharisees and Sadducees to recognize Jesus is the Davidic figure here. Which means Jesus is going to be justified, not the enemies. And that's all prophecy. A thousand years before Jesus shows up. This is why I'm amazed the more that I study the Bible the more that I go into God's word, the more that I go down things that make me uncomfortable, I have realized this. Every time somebody tries to tear the Bible apart, every time somebody tries to go into it and disprove it, every time somebody goes in and tries to talk about how messed up and it's full of errors and it's been changed over time, all those people have not looked into it. They just have a feeling. But God tells us if we'll study, you can trust You can trust Him. And this is why we can lament. Church, the points today, I started at the beginning, but I wanted to do it this way just to break down the text. Here's where I want us to catch today as we come to this time of close. One, biblical lament is healthy. There's nothing wrong for you to cry out to God And tell him what you're experiencing. There's nothing wrong with telling God, I don't know why you're not answering. I'm bothered. I'm in the middle of this darkness. Where are you? God is not bothered. In fact, it's healthy. And remember, if you stop with whining, that's not healthy. But when you go back to, but I know you're faithful, I just don't understand why, but I know you're faithful biblical lament is healthy Two, our circumstances do not change God because you're in the midst of suffering or because you're in the midst of sin or because you're in the midst of a dark moment that does not change who God is you can't do something and make God not love you you can't do something and all of a sudden God says oh I'm thoroughly impressed with you now because you did we're sinners we're broken we're in need of a savior and God's, who he is and what he's doing never changes. Does that change anything about the circumstances you're in right now? They feel crazy, but God doesn't change. He's just still in control. Three, those who trust God will praise him. Those who trust God will praise him. If there is a lack of praise in your life right now, If there's a lack of praise in your life right now, I would encourage you, have you gone into the first step of more of whining than lamenting? If there's a lack of praise in your life right now, have you gotten more into complaining than you have about remembering God, the situation of how it feels and what's going on? But I know that's not you and I remember how faithful you are and I remember how faithful you've been and I remember you will be faithful. And that leads us to praise. And when we go back, when we go back, and we see Jesus pointing to 22, it lets us see 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him We might become the righteousness of God. You and I have fulfilled God's purpose when we have put our faith in Christ of why Jesus died. It was to restore the relationship that we broke. And that now because of Jesus Christ and what he's done, You and I, we have become the righteousness of God. When people look at us, it should point to the worship of God is, I redeemed that person. That's my son. That's my daughter. They're mine. And we tell of that to people. We proclaim of that to people. Even when it's difficult even when it's broken, even when we wonder what's going on. God has not changed, and thus I can hang on in the moment and realize he's still here, but I can also proclaim that he is the God that has come to save the world for those who put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you a lamenter or a whiner today? To be honest, that's what God has convicted me on the last two weeks. I have been a whiner and not a lamenter. I have complained and not praised. And God has convicted me greatly. Christians are not whiners. We're lamenters. And when we're whiners, we need to repent. And we need to point people to Jesus and the greatest gift that he's always been in control. He's in control right now. And in a world that's broken, in a world that's hurting, in believers that have lost hope, for those that grab a hold of it, we're called to be that light to the lost and to other brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus has not changed. Come back to the God who loves you.